0: You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. This is the ninth book in the New Century Multiverse series, and the first in Phase 2. Up until now, I have always said you could pick up any book, and it would be a fine entry point. But for this one, you're going to need to be on board with a few things first. I would suggest you listen to the following two stories beforehand. One, Secret Rooms Definitive Edition. And two, Steamheart. The rest are optional for Uncivil Outlaw, but those two are fairly essential. You can pick this story up without them, but it will hit the hardest with those two under your belt. So, if you need to, go listen, and I'll see you in 22 hours.
1: and so remote from all this troubled world. Thou takest from me what was never mine, and yet all mine the loss, all mine to bear, the hungry emptiness of aching days. For, O beloved, though so far from thee, yet thy love warmed me as the distant sun, lightens a planet in a further space, and so I was not wholly comfortless. Now has the light gone out across the world, Yet earth reels always purposelessly round. Ah, I would scream aloud unto the stars That thou art dead. What need have they to shine? What need have moons to drift across the skies Or suns to flare above a barren earth? Beloved, now thou art beyond the world And art no longer bound to cherish her. But now shalt love me as thy spirit wouldst. Ah, shall repression be our single creed. All thou hast made, God, thou hast fashioned free. But man would place a bridle on it all, Chain the glad golden lightnings to his need, Stem the bright rivers eager from the hills, And burden earth with palaces of steel. So he would place his rule above our hearts, And stifle love with a remorseless law.
0: From Rebellion by Beatrice Redpath Prologue, Doorway to Autumn James My friend and I stood side by side, ready to face the unknown together once again. It was August 1883, and the dashing Captain Abigail Gray and myself, the pragmatic Dr. James Penrose, were in a sealed vault deep in the bowels of Langley, the headquarters of the National Intelligence Agency in Virginia. Nearby stood the recently appointed director, Catherine Holloway, determined and calculating, alongside the slightly more recently appointed deputy director, Truth Arlington, currently nervous and filled with queries. Behind them, agents Jeremy Pines and Donald McTavish of the Department of Mysteries and the Paranormal, respectively excitable and steady, were assisting the aloof, sardonic Nikola Tesla of the Research and Design Division with setting up some complicated and dangerous-looking apparatus. Various humming cables snaked into a heavy base from which sprouted a tall cylindrical coil wound with copper wire and topped with an aluminium ring. Mr. Tesla threw a lever and a surge of electricity rocketed through the thing, accompanied by its signature scratching bark of static. The hairs on my forearms... Below my rolled-up shirt sleeves began to stand on end.
2: You definitely feel the same keyhole here again, right, James?
0: Jeremy called. I pursed my lips, extended my fingers, and traced about in the air until I felt the pressure in my head adjust, and the texture of the concealed fingerprint pulse ever so slightly, in a way that fit exactly in my extrasense memory. It's here. I confirmed, tapping the invisible spot, a yard or so in front of my right shoulder.
1: Hands up, who hasn't seen him do this before?
0: Called out truth from just behind me. I clocked that worried expression as she raised her hand. Mr. Tesla regarded me curiously and put his own up. Behind him, lined up against the far wall of the vault, was a formation of two dozen specialized Reunified States Army troops, each standing to attention with the Winchester rifle resting against their shoulder. This was Stone Company, selected by Catherine herself. Every hand went up from those men and women, none of whom had been present at the gates of Green Hollow during the summer, when I first tore through to this new world. It's fairly simple.
3: It really isn't.
0: Abigail piped up. This, I declared, holding up my index finger for all to see, is like a skeleton skeleton. key. I hoped I sounded impressive, and not at all like a children's magician. It can open any lock to any world, provided there is an accompanying burst of energy to push through the veil that keeps each dimension separate. Here I nodded over towards the humming, sparking electrical coil. We decided converting electricity was safer than firing a bullet straight through. We don't want to shoot someone we intend to be friends with.
3: Thing is though, he needs to know exactly which keyhole to pick. And unless he's already been close to an open door...
0: Close enough to touch it, so I can familiarize myself with the exact resonance of its unique vibration.
3: Yeah, unless he's gotten touchy-feely with an open door, he has no clue how to find a closed one to the same place. You can't see them, then?
0: I can... kind of see them. If I let my mind get very loose and free. But there's no color. Not like how Abigail sees the open doors when she uses her peculiar vision. On cue, Abigail and I turned and lifted our opposing eye patches to show the troops behind us. Several of them flinched visibly at the dark, starlit orbs contained within our heads.
3: And yet, after he's opened them, I can close them. That's my power. None of this leaves a room, by the way.
0: Catherine
4: called. Country's tearing itself apart. A lot of politics going south right now. These developments are considered classified. You folks assembled are privileged with this information.
1: But you can still reopen a door that's been closed, right, Penrose? Yes and no.
0: I can if I know what world it opened into. I can't if I don't.
1: So there's no clues left behind? No traces of an opening? No. Nope. The keyhole
3: just disappears back into the jumble.
0: I think the best way I described it before is that it's like an infinitely sized haystack folding in on itself in five-dimensional space, and you ask me to find a blade of hay that looks indistinguishable from all the others. Truth stared at us and uttered a single word.
3: Shit. Yeah, turns out this cross-world malarkey is pretty complex.
0: Abigail drawled, clearly mining a measure of fun from prodding at Truth in an existential fashion. Catherine eyeballed the large clock that had been set up on the wall.
4: Two minutes to midday. You both ready?
1: How do we know for sure they're going to be there?
0: Truth asked, an urgency and tension in her voice. Just a few days previously, she had been the White House communications director. She had known absolutely everything about her position and could confidently outmaneuver those challenging her within her sea of speciality, borne up on a ship of extensive experience and knowledge. Now she was kicking furiously in a pool of unknown and intimidating depth. Desperate to keep her head up. When we went through this morning at 6 a.m., the first people we met from this world were something like police officers on patrol.
3: They damn near shit their britches when they saw us emerge out of thin air.
0: It was early morning in that world, too. And after making it clear we weren't here to cause trouble, we spoke with them.
3: They understood English? Not immediately, but one of them fiddled with some kind of device they put in their ear. After that, not only could they understand us, but we could comprehend them too. It really was a miraculous little gizmo. Harry would have loved it.
0: This last part was said gently, and I spotted a look ripple across Truth's face that might even have been warmth for Captain Grey. So I handed them my pocket watch, and told the pair we would return when both hands pointed to the top.
3: And one of them, with these intense amber eyes, ...looks at the dock here with an arching brow and goes... I know know what what a clock clock is, son.
0: Yes, yes, we've all had a jolly good laugh about that. And fingers crossed they will have brought someone in authority with whom we can negotiate. One minute. Are you ready, James? Yes, I think I finally am. I said half to myself now.
1: And what
3: if they're waiting on the other side with an army? You sound as suspicious and over-preparing as your father. He'd have been proud.
0: That look came back to Truth's face, complicated now with something else.
3: We can't be
4: sure they won't attack us. We can hope that the safety measures we have in place will suffice.
0: Catherine gestured to Abigail, then to the sealed vault door behind us, and the troops with guns at the ready.
4: Most of all, we need to be able to communicate, negotiate, get a feel for their values, and assess whether this particular extra-dimensional contact is worth the risk. It's an advanced civilization, and with things
3: the way they are,
4: we need all the help we can get.
3: What are they like? Tall and thin. Very striking. I think you'll like them. Let's hope they have the same relative concept of time that we do. I heard
0: Donald say.
3: Clocks be damned. There's no way of knowing if they will show up on the right day, let alone the right- Thirty point.
4: seconds! Better start, James.
0: I pulled my spare pocket watch out and triple-checked it against the one on the wall. It was correct, to the moment.
3: Hold up! What's this strange device?
0: Abigail inquired, eyes wide as she gaped at what was in my hand.
3: Methinks it's some kind of mechanical sundial of perplex and craft.
0: That's not going away anytime soon, is it? The coil behind me began to spark and shout as I stretched out my right hand, confidently this time, feeling the shape and vibration of this particular keyhole. It was familiar now. Blue talons of electricity arced across the air illuminating Abigail's eager face as they scurried around my arm, spidering outwards into the form of a door which began to open up Uncivil Outlaw. A tale from the New Century Multiverse. Written by Alexander Shaw. Part 1. Resist. Chapter 1. The Northern Door. Three months later, on November 3rd, 1883, the survivors of the Steamheart expedition reconvened in a quiet basement bar in the centre of the city to pay respects to our fallen comrade, Captain Annie Oakley. She had laid down her life to protect Abigail and I, to keep our bodies unriddled with bullets, and to ensure the endowments, these starlit eyes, remained within our heads. The next day, the two of us left Washington, bound for the north. The Zeppelin, Thundercloud, crept through the night sky over sleeping, snowy Canadian territory. Hanging beneath the long hydrogen envelope was a gondola emblazoned with the red, white and blue of the RSA. At the front was a wide viewing window and in the centre of that, hands behind his back, eyes focused on the horizon stood Mr. White His impenetrable stone spring plated armor made a distinctive unnerving arrangement of tiny clinks every time there was movement. I don't say this often, he murmured to Abigail and I who had stood on either side of him. But sweet bearded tap dancing Christ would you look at that sight? Before us the sky was a symphony of color the northern lights roiling around the heavens in a slow-motion ballet of all-encompassing immensity, the shapes of ghostly titans from another plane of existence seemed to be attempting to enter our world. The green was winning, casting great swirling ribbons out to blanket the earth in an eerie glow, but it was being opposed by a force of red that lilted contrary-wise from magenta to purple, asserting its influence and being forever repelled. I glanced at Abigail, stood in an Arctic Explorer outfit of leather and fur similar to my own. She had spent a lifetime of making flip remarks when it would have been more appropriate to take the given situation seriously. Now she simply gazed upon nature at its most extraordinary and found neither sarcasm nor the need for it. I myself was thinking hard and found that keeping my one visual eye on the lights actually helped to center and focus me. Everything else melted away, and I was at peace up here. I had purpose. In her smart robes of black and white, deep cuffs draped around her deadly clever hands, hair braided into a long, dark ponytail, streaked with silver and falling down her back, Agent Lee stepped up behind us. For some time she had been dwelling in the rear of the chamber, and this was a show of self-indulgence I had not witnessed in her before, as she allowed herself to drink in what we were moving through. Her lips parted, and she let out a rare, long breath. Not a gasp, certainly not a whistle, but a small surrender nonetheless. For a short span of time, all four of us forgot our conflicts, both internal and external, and shared a moment of awe. On the ground, this reverence for the magnificence of the firmaments took a back seat as business crowded in. A man stood waiting, intense, expectant, cavalier. I judged the fellow from his writings and demeanour and from what Jeremy and Donald had told me to be either a beacon of rational response or quite, quite mad. His bushy moustache twitched as though he was providing shelter for a restless furry creature that was in two minds about his face. His keen eyes locked upon us, the newcomers with a new plan of action to set against his own.
2: About bloody time, he bellowed. I've been here since October studying that thing, and fending off dribbling fanatics. It's past you, we closed up and moved on.
0: A pleasure to meet you too, Commander, White declared, stalking down the ramp and clapping hands with the explorer in an assertive fashion. Please excuse our delays. They were necessary for setting up hydrogen refueling points across our continents, and for sharpening the skills of the two endowment holders.
2: Sharpen up now, then,
0: the explorer remarked.
2: Come on into my tent, blow we'll have a hot toddy, and then journey out. Boat across the lake, close that blasted door up by ten and get some ruddy kip. And then that'll be it. No more confounded beasties coming into this world. Or at least, as I understand it, the infection itself will be sealed off. And that's cause for celebration, eh, what?
3: Would you like to sleep on our airship, Commander?
0: Asked Agent Lee from within a hooded, warm cloak.
3: We have some well-appointed cabins and comfortable beds
2: in there. No, no.
0: Wilson dismissed with a wave of his hand.
2: I sleep better in a bag on a rock.
0: We were led through, and I found my eye line drawn this way and that as I studied the encampment. All around us, in the firelight, a collection of hardy excursionists, clad in polar gear, moved in and out of one another's tents to the sounds of chatter and music. Some of them visibly jumped as they saw White, his armor and sword far too exotic to ignore. But it was not so much his clothing and weaponry that unnerved the onlookers as his fearsome bearing. This strange warrior, being followed by a six-foot-tall, one-eyed, flaming, red-headed brawler, my good self, and a Chinese lady in flowing vestments with a demeanor that seemed to say,
3: You really do not want me to have to tell you anything twice.
0: rather compounded his extraordinary air. You mentioned the word fanatics earlier, I said, as our new quintet sat around a campfire, now clutching steaming brandy, and wrapped in yet more furs to keep out the biting north wind. I had hoped while we were up here we wouldn't encounter anything more imposing than the old
2: moose. I don't know, moose bites can be pretty nasty. A moose once bit my sister.
3: Gracious, was everything all right?
2: Not for the moose. I want to know about the
0: sort of trouble we can expect. White intoned. Are the local Inuit unhappy
2: with your presence in their territory? No, good Lord, no, The Inuit have been perfect gentlefolk. They know the land, and I've given them my word that we won't despoil it. There are guides and hosts in these parts. Be a blithering idiot to get on their bad side.
3: That's right. You were friends with Tuku, who first found the northern Windor. Is he
2: here?
0: He'll be back in Manitoba, hundreds of miles south of this place. Am I correct?
2: Uh, Quite right. We passed through there on our way back up. The old fellow is still alive and cackling.
0: (laughs) At this, Abigail fell silent and looked at me, a note of pleading in her eyes. No.
3: Just if we have time on the way back.
0: Out of the question.
3: We have a goddamn Zeppelin now. I can get it done in ten, twenty minutes. When
0: will you have enough autographs?
3: I gotta make up for...
0: She faltered and collected herself, bringing her voice down steady and low.
3: ...for the ones who aren't around to sign anything anymore.
0: If we may continue... ...I believe you invoked the worrying concept of fanatics.
2: Uh, Yes, quite so. You see, the notion of a doorway to another world rather caught the people's attention... ...since the publication of the second edition. And over the past few months, we've had some rum-types travel all the way up here... ...surprisingly well-equipped, with their hearts set on crossing the boundary.
0: If the Inuit are accepting of your presence up here... Of what people are we speaking?
2: Of this rabble are Americans who have gotten it into their heads that.
0: He paused, turning the thought over in his mind, and took another slug of brandy.
2: They believe God Himself is behind the door, and they've convinced themselves that if they go through that way, they get the shortcut to His right hand. The God?
3: Great big bushy beard, Old Testament wrath and such?
2: A God. He's kind of a conglomeration of the Abrahamic one and a bunch of heathen hokum. They call him the Lord of All Kingdoms, apparently. Now, I've no qualms with believing in something greater than we know, but this is ill-considered cock of the poppiest variety.
0: He shifted uneasily and took another sip.
2: In fact, I had the misfortune to sit in on one of their sermons a few weeks ago. They're convinced the world is coming to an end that a cataclysm is but a matter of years or even months away, so they have little time to secure their place in paradise. That requires a show of rather spectacular desire to gratify, ingratiate and be considered worthy by whatever they believe is pulling at all of our strings. They were falling about the place, gibbering and making a fearful catawampus, their tongues waggling all over the shop. A bunch of delusional ninnies, if you ask me, but rather dangerous with it
0: well then said white resolute now the plan is sound let's get out there as soon as possible close that door and abscond post haste before these deluded fuckwits ruin absolutely everything You have been listening to episode one of uncivil outlaw the northern door written edited and directed by alexander shaw dr james penrose and mr white performed by alex shaw captain abigail gray and agent lee ying long performed by sharon shaw commander calvin wilson performed by matt ramsey Director Catherine Holloway, performed by Maya Sant'Andrea. Deputy Director Truth Arlington, performed by Theo Lee. Agent Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle. Agent Donald McTavish, performed by Derek Ritchie. And Elaine, performed by Debbie Morse. All This, Heartbreaking and Infidos, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Phillipson of Shockwave Sound. Uncivil Outlaw Theme, True Greatness, performed by Bjorn Lynn of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 supporters get credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Sabard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras Matthew Webb Connor Kennedy Angus Lee Marty Hui David Shealy Kevin Vei, Daniel Salguero Brian Novak Evan Jankowski Sarah Montgomery Dan Hebner Johan Clayson Tyler Long Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing Tim Rosensky Christopher Wolfe Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman Timothy Green Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lux, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lacluse, Kieran Dashler, Frankie Punzi and Lorraine Chesham. And you can support us simply by leaving an enthusiastic iTunes or Amazon review. The novel of Uncivil Outlaw is available in Kindle and paperback form. And if you're a fan of the New Century multiverse, you will definitely want to check out Through the Wind Door, the first discussion podcast covering each story in turn, hosted and produced entirely independently by Greg Downing and Toby Jungius. And you can find that on iTunes and wherever else you find podcasts.